0: Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. I'm uh, looking forward to sharing with you from 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Um, just before I do, I was just listening to my Spotify worship playlist the other day. And there's a couple of songs that have made it into that playlist that I like to listen to when I go uh, running or walking sometimes. And there's a couple of songs that are not what you'd call worship songs in that they're just well-known, famous songs that are about friendship. But when I hear those songs, I hear God singing over me and it's just an amazing, amazing feeling. One of those songs, Don't Laugh, is from Toy Story, uh, You've Got a Friend in Me. Uh, the other of those songs is Carol King's You've Got a Friend and the, the words go winter, spring, summer or fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there, you've got a friend. There's a moment when she says say my name out loud and I just find sometimes I'm running by the canal and I hear that phrase and she sings it and I just say out loud, Jesus. And uh, I, I don't know what other people uh, think of that when they hear me. That Maybe they think I'm swearing or something. I don't know. But, but here's the wonderful thing. As we look at these verses today that we're going to come to. At the very essence of the Christian faith is friendship with God. It's friendship with Jesus. It's amazing that the God of the universe Is willing to have a relationship with people like you and people like me. And I wonder if you're enjoying friendship with God in these times of waiting that we're in at the moment. In Psalm 4 it says this: Many people say, Who will show us the better times? That's a great question that everybody's asking these days. And the answer is this: let your face shine on us, Lord. See, when you're friends with God, when he shines his face on us, his friendship into our lives, it's the most amazing thing that brightens up every day, even as Ian was talking about last week. Now, if I said to you, what's one of the best characteristics about friendship? You'd probably have high up on the list. Well, trust. Trust is probably a high quality of friendship. And today's verses are about trust. It's about what and who you can trust and what you and I should be suspicious of in our Christian lives. And these verses might seem obscure as we first read them, but the answer to that question is that we can trust God, we can trust his word, and we can trust people who submit themselves to God and to his word. And all of those things can become friends to us. So let's read together from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses twenty to 21, and then into chapter 2. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. So he starts with these words, above all. And Straight away, we're thinking, well, this sounds important. This is Peter's last letter to his followers. And he's making this point, above all. We need to listen up. Because what he's talking about is God speaking. He says, above all, we must understand that no prophecy of scripture. He's saying, this is important. If you're going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to grow as a disciple, if you're going to grow to maturity, then The positioning that you give to God speaking in your life is the all-important matter. It's the all-important matter because Peter is saying above all. So just to be clear, in church, particularly in our church, because we love the Holy Spirit and we love the gifts of the Spirit, often we'll talk about the gift of prophecy as something that happens today, which is God encouraging us, speaking to us through prophetic gifting today And that's in 1 Corinthians 14, you read about that, that that God speaks for our uh, encouragement and comfort and strengthening. That's not what Peter's talking about here. So just put that to one side. That's a different message, one that we love, but not for today. What he's talking today about is specifically how God has revealed himself already. And in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, it says something similar to what Peter's saying here. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Throughout the Bible, throughout history, the cumulative revelation of God has been remarkable. God is a God who chooses to reveal himself to human beings. We wouldn't just get it by ourselves, but he's chosen to reveal himself through creation, through his word, and through the coming of his son into the world, Jesus And he says, the prophets, or Peter says here, the prophecy of scripture. So here's the question for us today. What is the prophecy of scripture? Well, first of all, it, it evidently refers to the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets. They weren't minor because they were less important. They were minor because they had shorter books in the Bible. So there's some prophetic literature in the Bible being referred to here. But it's more than that because... In New Testament times, they sometimes used to refer to the whole of the Old Testament as the law and the prophets, as shorthand. In fact, on the road to Emmaus, uh, it said Jesus, starting with the law and the prophets, he began to explain to them everything uh, about himself. So, but more than that, when it, so when you look at the law and the prophets, you've got the five books of Moses and the rest of the, the, the books of the Old Testament. And... Um, that had included the wisdom literature, the Psalms. All of that was in the prophetic writings, therefore. But also, the first five books were called the books of Moses. Moses himself was known as the prophet. And so, as if you were a, a, a believing Jew in New Testament times, what you would have understood by the Old Testament scriptures is this, that they were the prophetic word of God, that they were God's word to us. They didn't contain God's word. It wasn't that they had certain quotes in God's word. The whole thing was a body of scripture that God had given to speak to his people and to speak to the world. So Jesus himself in Matthew 19, he's just teaching about uh, marriage and he quotes the author of Genesis. The author of Genesis says about two becoming one flesh. Jesus, when he quotes that, he doesn't say the author of Genesis said in uh, Matthew 19 verse 5. He says, the creator said, he says, he attributes the words of the author of Genesis to God himself. And that tells us something about what Peter's talking about here. So this idea of the Old Testament scriptures being breathed by God is restated in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, where the apostle Paul says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. It's breathed by God. It's inspired by God, has its origin in God. Now, do you see what Peter's doing in these verses? He's not simply saying, isn't it great we've got that? He's adding his own voice to these scriptures. That's an amazing and bold thing to do for anybody, isn't it? To say, so we've got the Old Testament scriptures, but... I'm also bringing my prophetic utterances, my word of God into this by writing this letter to you. Now, he's saying, as he's talking about his own prophetic writing, he's clear, as Ian said last week, he didn't close his eyes and say, well, I think I saw a picture of a mountain and it was a sunny day. And I think I saw Jesus and he looked all glorious and there was Moses and Elijah. And then I think I heard a voice and I think it said something like this. He's giving an eyewitness account. He said, I was on the mountain. I heard God speak. I saw Jesus. I heard what he said. There was something authoritative about what Peter was saying. And he's saying, this is the revelation that you need to believe if you're going to follow Jesus. He's equating his own message with prophecy in the Old Testament. That's a big deal. Do we have other evidence of that in the New Testament of other authors equating themselves to the scriptures? Well, If you flick over into 2 Peter 3, you find Peter talking about Paul's letters. He, Paul, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. As they do the other scriptures. He's saying that Paul's writings are therefore scripture. He's saying... I'm writing scripture, Paul's writing scripture. There was a body of literature in New Testament times in the early church where they said, these words have authority. These letters, these writings alongside the Old Testament. By the way, if, when I read that, I, I hope you were encouraged that if you, sometimes you find the Bible hard sometimes. The Apostle Peter said about the Apostle Paul, some of his stuff's a bit hard, isn't it? I bet bet Paul said the same thing about Peter as well, didn't he? Sometimes it is hard. So here we have it then. The Old Testament writings plus the apostles' writings. You'll remember at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus looked and he breathed on them. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the apostles could correctly interpret the prophets into the new covenant era. And you often find them doing that in their preaching and in their letters and you read, you read in, in Acts 2, 42, the early church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They weren't just making it up. They weren't just having happy thoughts themselves. They said, apostles, teach us. And wonderfully, we have so much of that preserved in our Bibles today in the New Testament. It's a mind-stretching mystery. So who wrote the book? Who wrote the books of the Bible? Verse 21, Peter says... For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That sounds complicated. Let me ask you this question. If I was to ask you, Jesus, is he fully God or is he fully human? Is he fully divine or is he fully human? You'd say, well... It's a mystery, but he's both of those things. He is fully God and fully human. In fact, there's a man in the heavens right now with scars, and and he's God, and his name is Jesus. Now, he's fully divine and fully human. In the same way that that's a mystery to us that just boggles our minds how that can be the case, we also have this understanding from Peter that Scripture has human authors. It was all written by human beings in their own style, in their own way, but it was also authored by God. In fact, it had its origin in the will of God. Now, that means that we can read it in two different and very important ways. Firstly, we can read it devotionally. Anytime you open the Bible, you can read verses, you can find verses, and you can say, God, please would you speak to me? And because he's the author, he will speak to you. I love that about this book. You don't have to be um, the brain of Britain to understand all of the Bible. You can read it and you can have God speak to you. But it also means we can read it studiously and apply scholarship to better understand it. Because there's hard things in the Bible. There's things that we find hard to understand. There's things that we find hard to understand with other knowledge that we know as well. And... That's why we have to study it. Things that might appear contradictory at first. Hard things. Now, because each of the Bible's authors had their own unique style, personality, humour, and way of communicating, some of them were poets, some of them were prophets, some of them were singers, some of them were shepherds, some of them were famous kings, some of them were fishermen. It means that sometimes we just have to dig deep to understand. What this book means and how we can best understand it to best understand the word of God to us. So I want to encourage you today to let this book become your trusted friend. It's a gift from God to you and to me. Meet its authors and meet the author. Get to know God. Get to know them, the authors. Learn to trust God as you hear him speak. I've heard that North Korean Christians, they hide their Bibles in jars in the garden because if they get caught with them, they and their family get put in prison for life. Now, this is what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. He said, I've hidden your word in my heart. Where are you hiding the word of God? What value does it have in your life? Where are you positioning it? Because Peter would urge you to give it the highest priority. Uh, Just to reiterate one more time, the, the Reading God's Word Today program that I know a number of us in Kings are doing is so, so good at bringing scripture and truth into your life. I love doing it myself every day. I love reading a chapter of the Old Testament and a chapter of the New. And I love also being part of a WhatsApp group in our small group where we can just share things that we feel God is saying through his word to us that day. And I love it. I love the happy pinging of my phone and the WhatsApp group. It's the happiest WhatsApps I receive all day because I'm hearing with the ping. I hear that God is speaking and then I read it and I'm greatly encouraged by what God's saying to others. And I add my own thoughts to that as well. I want to encourage you to do that if you can. I love it. So um, just one final thought before we move on to chapter two. And that's this that um, you. You can trust God's word entirely. Have have you ever found you've been in a conversation with somebody and you thought, I don't totally trust them. And you find yourself saying these words. It might be on the phone to like a, a shop or something. You might say, would you mind putting that in writing for me? Because what you're really saying is, I'm a bit worried if I call back, I'll be speaking to somebody else or you'll have changed your mind. Can you put it in writing? Isn't this an amazing thought that God, who doesn't lie anyway, has chosen to reveal himself through his word. He's put it in writing for us because he wants us to be sure of what he's saying. What a brilliant thing. Now, that's some friends that can be trusted then. The the scriptures, the authors of scripture, they can be trusted. Let's meet some friends who can't be trusted. Change to a minor key. So here comes a word of warning. Watch the company you keep. Chapter two, he says... But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So wherever truth is, deception is always lurking around the corner. So it shouldn't surprise us that in the compiling of scriptures, that there will sometimes be other writings that didn't get included. And it's never a surprise when people quote one of those references and say, oh, yeah, but there were other opinions in the day because They were actually turfed out by those who, under God's inspiration, pulled and compiled the Bible together into what we know it to be. See, wherever there's truth, error is lurking. And uh, even back in the Old Testament days, Peter was saying, when God was speaking through the prophets, there were false prophets. In the Bible reading plan, in a couple of days' time, we're going to find that King Ahab wants to go to war, and he has a room full of prophets, and he asks them, Will God give me victory? If I go to war, and uh, they all very dramatically say, yes, King Ahab, you will have total victory. You will gore your enemies with these horns. And, uh, and then somebody says, oh, where's the other prophet? You know, that Micaiah guy. Where's it? Why haven't we invited him? And the king says, oh, I never invite him because he always prophesies the wrong stuff. And, uh, and so they invite him in and uh, they say, so are we going to win this, this battle? And Micaiah says, no, you're going to be scattered. Israel's going to lose. And the king says, see, I told you he always prophesies bad stuff, but he was right. He was the true prophet. And the others were false. They were just speaking whatever the king wanted to hear. You know, truth sometimes isn't easy, but it's always more valuable than error. Uh, Here's some things to watch out for from 2 Peter chapter 2 when he talks about false teachers in their day and things that we can look out for today. These false teachers, according to verse two, they they were followed. They were popular. They thrived on personal popularity at the expense of the truth. They fabricated stories to make themselves look good. True teachers, they tell you the truth, even sometimes you don't want to hear it. False teachers are people, according to verse three, who, who can get greedy. They've they, they do it to profit, to their own ends, for their own sake. True teachers, they don't find their reward in the financial gain of it. They need their needs met, but they find their joy in people getting set free with the truth, being liberated as they come to understand the freedom that the word of God brings. That's the joy of a teacher. Here's the third thing about false teachers. They have questionable lifestyles that don't appear fully submitted to Christ and his word. They have Immorality in their character that's on display. Whereas true teachers, they seek as best as they can and by God's grace to apply the word of God and to submit themselves to its uh, its authority. Here's the fourth thing about false teachers. They reject godly authority. Nobody can get near them and tell them or, or correct them or challenge them. Uh, it, whereas true teachers, they, they welcome input of others. They welcome the opinion and the counsel of wise and godly leaders around them. It's been interesting. I followed a couple of cases in recent years of very high-profile Christians who were found to be living a life of immorality that had gone on for some time before it came out. In both cases, those people who were around them were try, who were trying to hold them to account were pushed away and the response was always the same. They received anger when they tried to confront. They said also we just we failed to hold them to account because they got angry. They didn't respect authority. They didn't receive authority. Whereas teachers of God's Word they love they love being in mutual submission to one another. Here's an application for online church, by the way. I know that you could be watching any church in the world right now. Peter would caution us and he'd say, well, make sure the people you're really listening to are people whose lives you can see up close enough to see if they're living it out. Do life together enough that you can see the fruits of the word of God in their own lives. Now, these teachers are going to come to a sticky end. Peter says that judgment is coming. We don't have time today to talk about the uh, illustrations he uses about fallen angels held for judgment or of the flood in Noah's day or Sodom and Gomorrah. Excitingly, in two Sunday evenings time, Luke Daviditus is going to do a question and answer session. If you have questions about any of those stories, then you can ask him I'll send him a text or something, and he'll be happy to dig into those with you on that evening. But the the summary of those stories, you find in verse 10, God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Here's the point. It's always worth holding on to truth, even though it's hard, even though others around you might be living very different lives based on very different worldviews and very different uh, understandings of what truth is. Hold on to what is truth because it will be ultimately rewarded. Don't throw God's word under the bus. Now let's finish by talking about how we approach Scripture. We read the Scripture earlier that all Scripture is God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the people of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Underline the word words all Scripture in your Bible. Or in your notes, all scripture. I think there's three kinds of scriptures. There's the scriptures that I love. They've usually got lines under them already in my Bible. The ones that give me great encouragement and joy. The ones I memorize. The ones that really help me in difficult times. They're like friends already. But here's the second category. Scriptures that I readily agree with. Things I read it and I think I'm thankful that this truth is already known to me or already bearing some fruit in my life, or it's perhaps a scripture that's to do with somebody else. And I'm always happy to read those scriptures because they're not about me, they're about somebody else. So uh, they're, they're scriptures I readily agree with. Here's the third category that we need to talk about, scriptures that I find challenging. Because some of the scriptures will disagree with my view Of the world, of money, of politics, of relationships, of marriage, sexuality, family, what sin is, and judgment to come. Now, when we read those scriptures, how we read them is so, so important. Be very wary when you find yourself reading them and saying, well, I think it's probably just a matter of interpretation. Scripture is never a matter of just interpretation. It's mainly a matter of pride and humility, Be careful. The original writers only had one thing that they were trying to communicate as they were writing. Now, if you read something and it can be understood in different ways, don't assume your view is right. In humility, let God teach you and challenge you. Humility makes us tremble at God's word and seek him for understanding. Pride, on the other hand says, if it could be taken a few ways, then perhaps I don't have to take it very seriously. And here's the promise of Scripture that God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. So our approach to Scripture is all important if you want to grow. On Friday in reading God's word together, we came across the Bereans in Acts 17. And it says this commendable thing about them. They received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You're ultimately the one who's responsible for reading these scriptures that I've talked about today and deciding whether I'm telling the truth about them. Search the scriptures. Come to that conclusion for yourself. If it is, then I want to encourage you. Let's go. Let's apply it. Above all, make this book your friend. You might just want to write down a one sentence summary of what God is speaking to you about through this message today. Something that you're going to do as a result. You might want to write it in your notes. You might want to text it to somebody right now, a friend in church and say, this is what I feel God is saying. And they might text you back and say what God's saying to them. So let's pray together. Let's pray that we value and love and find friendship with these promises of Scripture. Lord, we thank you so much. You uh, have called us not to live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I pray, Lord, help us to choose our friends wisely today. Help us to choose the voices we listen to. Help us to hear what you're saying through the pages of Scripture as we read. Please, Lord, would you give us a second wind this year if perhaps we're already just finding it harder to engage. I pray, Lord, that your word would come alive to us. In Jesus' name.